I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. Well, hello, good people. So glad that you are here. Isn't that always? You should know that I love you by now. I think you do. If you don't, then I don't know what's up. So we are going to get into a talk that we need to have a talk about today with a new friend of mine and a soror. I love sorors. Um, who is Shamika Stevenson Davidson? And I'm going to let her tell you about who she is and all the wonderful things that she's doing to like change the world because she absolutely is. And it's one really unique thing about her. I hope we get to talk about too. We'll talk about Shamika. Uh, but I just want to welcome you. And Shamika, hey, how are you? Thank you for being here with us. Like, what's up? Hey, everybody. How are you? I am good. I am in Texas, where it is cold one day and hot the next. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I am grateful to be on this podcast. Just a little bit about me. I am currently the owner of Pre-College Solutions, which is a college readiness consulting company. I am a native of Louisiana. Go Saints. I come from a small town out of Louisiana, Vivian, Louisiana, and I got my bachelor's degree from Northwestern State University at Louisiana in 2003. I just dated myself, but it's okay. And um, (laughs) I had moved to Texas in 2006, and I've been here ever since. I am married. I am a proud dog mom. I'm a proud chick mom. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who don't know what that is, I own a couple of chickens, and, and I'm their little mom. And so that's just a little bit about me. It's funny because that's what I wanted. I was hoping that you would say the chicken mom. I can't get over that. You're the first person that I know to be a chicken mom and to really have a chicken as a pet, not to be growing it for a feast. That is (laughs) what got you into, you know, that. And I know that you're vegetarian as well. So was there something that happened that even wanted you like made you want chickens? Actually, um, no, it was my husband, his mom. She's a chicken mom. She raises chickens in Texas in like this rural part of Texas. And so once COVID-19 hit and we were just at home, both of us working from home all day long. I don't know. He just started wanting to do stuff. And he said about April, May, he was like, I want chickens. And I was just like. I kind of blew it off. I blew it off, you know. I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, whatever. And he, a month, another month went by and he said it again. And I'm like, oh my God, he sounds kind of <laughs> serious about this. And so, me being like, I don't want any chickens, I said, well, I'm pretty sure we live in a city and they have an ordinance and that's probably not allowed. So I said, you need to check into that. 
you know, before you we even have this conversation. The next day, he called. He called and he t- he said, "Hey, they said that we can have them. There's a limit of four. You know, you can't have more than four. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, he is serious. He really wants chicken. <laughs> oh my gosh!" And so, like the next month, we went to um, his mom's, and she gave us two baby chicks and she let me name them and that's when automatically I became a chick mom when she let me name them I was like they're mine they're, they're, they're mine now and that's how I got connected that is so interesting and it's funny because it's like that's a great conversation starter because we hear dog mom you know cat mom like we hear like fur mom you know but then you say chicken mom it's kind of like did you just say chicken because of course you know naturally when we think about chickens we just think about chicken like so I just I just I just love it so great conversation starter and you have you how many did you get of them again we have two and their name is uh, Keisha and light-skinned and uh, <laughs> and everybody's like oh my gosh how did y'all come up with the name and I named Keisha but my husband was supposed to give light skin like a, a more human name and he decided he did not want to do that like he was like I don't want to do that that's crazy I don't want to do that and so I had started calling the chicken light skin because it is a light skin chicken. It's very yellow and bright, and and um, so we just stay with that name. That is so interesting. Okay, my last question about the chickens. I probably should go move on, but I'm pretty sure. Again, this is going to intrigue some people because it's how, you do you don't get to talk to people every day with, who own chickens. What's the lifespan of a chicken? You know, like a regular lifespan, five years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. I would have thought it would be longer than that for some reason. That's interesting. I know. That's. I thought it was more like 10. But when I talked to my mother-in-law, she was like, um, five years is, is probably when they're going to stop laying. And then she says after that, there's a decline in their health. So she was like, you know, either what? you can ride the wave with them or you can just kind of let them go when uh, they stop laying eggs. And so I'm mm. like, wow, that's really interesting. I think I was, um, and I don't think I was watching this documentary on Netflix a while ago. I think it was like my octopus teacher. And something I didn't realize is that when an octopus, like the female octopus lays all of her eggs or has all of her babies, she dies. And so I'm just, really, I was very fascinated by that. So again, just a great conversation started, right? Because it's like five years for a chicken. I'm thinking, dang, I really like you. I would have thought about 10 years, but it's interesting to think about other, other animals and their procreation and what that means for them. But when she lays the eggs, I don't want to tell you a crazy number, but I feel like they said 10,000 to 10 million. It was something I was like, what? So it's a lot of them. She lays them or just lets them, releases them, lets them go. Um, If you ever get a chance, check that out. Even if you just get to the end part and then soon after she's gone, like literally not even like, I want to say a day or so, like she's, she knows that she's giving her life for all hers. But I was like that, but it's so many, you know, to have at a time but then to just think about wow like you know that you're in so yeah but anyway not to be morbid but I was just really fascinated so animal talk yeah but so <laughs> look so that moving into some of the other things though but you are absolutely said just a mover and a shaker you have a business and your business came from your college experience would you tell us a little bit more about that like what was that moment that even made you decide you were going to be an entrepreneur and pursue you know 
pre-college counseling because that's a very particular thing to be into? Well, when I decided to go to college, like I said earlier, I lived in a very small town, very rural. I mean, I used to know how to milk a cow back (laughs) in the 90s. And so that's how rural it was. And so no one helped me with the college admissions process. So that was pretty much all my own. I did my fast paper FAFSA back then on my own. And so I remember trying to apply for scholarships. I only applied for maybe like 10 only because there were no resources for me to find scholarships to to do back then. And Hmm. so once I got to college, my mother let me know that I could not get student loans. Like she was Mm. anti-student loans. And so me not knowing any better, I didn't know that I could even apply for student loans without her. I just assumed the entire time I was in college. Well, she said no. So I I can't get student loans if I wanted to. And so that's why I went about going to college. And so I applied for scholarships while I was in college. I worked, saved up, paid for college. And so I did all those things. And so luckily for me, I graduated for college with my undergraduate with no student loan debt, which is Mm. awesome. Yes, it is. (laughs) Which is awesome. And so fast forward that to when I decided to get my graduate degree in the state of Texas and I decided to go about it same philosophy. I decided that I'm not going to get any loans. I'm going to go through school and figure it out. And that's kind of what I did. So I did some scholarships. I saved. I did all of those things. And then once I graduated, I got my master's. And then I worked for a nonprofit organization where uh, they hired me to do college prep for high school students. And mainly first-generation, low-income under this uh, federal grant called the TRIO grant with the Upper Mm -hmm. Bound Program. And so as I was working with those students, uh, helping them achieve their goal of going to college and being the first person to go to college and knowing how that feels and knowing the expectations that that is set and how you're basically changing standards in your family. That is what I guess made me decide that I wanted to do the college consulting field because even though I was working with first generation students and low income students and God knows they needed I feel like the most but there's another group out there that whose parents may have graduated from college but because system and processes change every few years they're not familiar with it anymore they don't know where the scholarships are if they are eligible for scholarships So that was their demographic out there as well to where I decided that I wanted to build my company to not only help first generation low income students, but I also wanted to help those families who have already started, you know, have a tradition of going to college in their family and provide Mm -hmm. those services. One thing that my company focuses on is minimizing the amount of student debt that a college student graduates with or college graduate graduates with. That's one of our main things that we try to focus on is making sure that when you get out of college, you have no student debt 
or you have as minimum as that could be. So I'm a big advocate for finding ways to pay for college so that you don't have to pay. Hmm. And so um, that's one of the reasons why I love what I do, started my company, and I'm still pushing through. I love the connection to what you're doing and how your story personally helped you to evolve to it because it means that it's meaningful work. It means that it's something that's dear to your heart, something that you stand behind because you believe in it. And I think there's so much value, especially as entrepreneurs, in doing things that you truly resonate with because you don't give up on it easy. So thank you for sharing you know, that part of who you are and how you evolved into the entrepreneurship space, but even just filling in the gap and seeing a need and being bold enough to say, I'll do it. <laughs> because you know, some people are like, uh-uh, I'm not going. But to even be a visionary, because it takes a lot. It's, it takes a lot to do. And running a business, which you know, it's, it's no easy feat. It is constant work, constant doing, thinking, strategizing, adjusting. But in the end, when you do work like what you're doing, it really, really matters because of how you're shaping the future, how you're shaping education, how you're changing lives. So I'm here for it. Thinking about how you were able to pay for school and figure it out, especially grad school, because I think for us as first gens, we get one discouraged sometimes when we think about grad school beyond feeling like an imposter. It's feeling like, what program do I go to next? Uh, How do I even afford it? What can I do, you know, with this degree? Because this bachelor's degree is, you know, already may be challenging. So, so many things to think about. So my question for you now is what helped you decide on what program you were going to go to? And then when you think about paying for school, what are some things that people who are considering going back to school um, or currently in grad school, but still need finances, what can they consider and what can they do? Okay. Those are great questions. Very loaded questions, but great questions. (laughs) Um, So I went to grad school for my master's in business administration. Mm -hmm. And at the time of me deciding to go to graduate school, I was working in a nonprofit organization and I told myself I wanted a higher ranking position within the nonprofit. And so Mm -hmm. that was my motivation into, okay, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to learn the business aspect of how things work so I can be considered for jobs in our executive level positions. And my graduate school, it took me two years to complete my master's in business administration. Um, Shout out to Texas Women's University. It didn't Texas. And so once I graduated with my MBA, that's when I decided I no longer wanted a higher ranking position in mm. uh, the nonprofit organization. Anything that I wanted to do moving forward would strictly have to be something that I wanted, meaning that it was going to be full ownership of myself. I learned mm. so much getting my MBA, just marketing, management, leadership, the finance aspect, economics. I learned so much and I didn't want to lowball myself to just a position to where I'm using all these amazing things, especially for an organization that didn't help me fund my Mm. master's degree. And so even though I stayed at the company, 
a little longer than I probably should have, I, I decided not to accept a higher rank position once I obtained my master's. And now I feel like I am reaping the benefits because now I own my mm. own business. I'm able to use all of those things from when I obtain my master's, all those skills, all that knowledge, all that information, I'm able to use that now in my own business that I fully own. So that's why I decided to get my master's. And then it's crazy how, you know, things kind of switch. You know, Mm -hmm. you think you're heading in this direction and then you hit a left. That's real. So that was, uh, I feel like I'm taking a test. So that was part A. Let me get to part B. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Come on, Shamika. I love it. <laughs> so uh, part B is that you ask for ways how someone could pay for graduate school or what resources are out there. And, and believe it or not, there are several ways that you could pay for graduate school. My first advice that I would give anyone seeking to apply for graduate school or currently in graduate school is that you need a plan. Hmm. You need a plan. You need a plan. I know I repeated that. You need a plan. (laughs) Did you hear what she said? I'm going to say it too. You need a plan. You need a plan. You need a plan for what you want to do and why you're going to graduate school, even if it may change. At least you have an idea why you're going, so that'll push you through to getting to graduation. And the second plan you need is a financial plan of how you want to pay for it if you don't want to just strictly do student loans. Hmm. And so I'm going to hit you with about six ways that you can pay for graduate school without student loans. Most of these ways I've already kind of done. So I know that it works. (laughs) Cool, cool. Tried and true, tried and true. Okay. Mm -hmm. Tried and true. So number one is think about investing in an educational IRA, which is an individual retirement account. And I know when you hear IRA, people immediately think about retirement. But there are several different types of IRAs. And I was fortunate that because I didn't graduate for any, I didn't have any student loans when I graduated with my bachelor's degree, that I had such an influx of money coming in when I got my first official job. And so I went to this seminar that my alumni chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated held where it talked about financial planning and the lady, she spoke about the different types of IRAs and she talked about an educational IRA, which I had never heard of until then. And she talked about how if you planned on going to graduate school, you planned on going to school, you had children and you wanted to help fund their education, you should, you know, put money aside in the educational IRA. So I went, set up an appointment, talked to her, set that up. So I had money coming out of my account that was going straight to an educational IRA. Because I knew I wanted to go to graduate school. I just didn't know what I wanted to do Hmm. at that age of 23, I think. I think I was 23. But I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to go back to school. And so when I did go back to school, I had saved about... $2,000, maybe a little bit over $2,000 was was in that educational IRA. And Mm -hmm. I was able to pull that, all that money, my first semester 
to pay for, I think it was like half of the first semester of graduate school. Mm-hmm. So that helped out so much. Anything helps out when you're paying for school. So that truly helped out. So now I tell people all the time, okay, even though you don't know what you want to do yet, start already putting money aside for graduate school. So mm. look into that. Banks do it. Different financial institutes do it. Um, but it's, it's very common. So if you do your research, you'll be able to look into an educational IRA. Yeah, and this is my first time hearing about that at all. Like, I've heard of things for, like, like you said, parents for their children. Mm-hmm. But, like, nobody has ever said, yo, just invest this. Like, that's that's genius. Okay, I'm sure the rest of it is going to be amazing. But that's just, like, why did I not think about that? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I put money to the side before I went to grad school, but not in the IRA. But, hey, mm-hmm. it's done now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it had, and I'm going to lie, my money had a little interest. Because I didn't let it stay in there long. I think maybe three or four years. So I, I had like maybe $100 because, you know, it adds interest and things like that. So I had like a little $100 added to it when I took it out. So it wasn't just sitting there not accumulating any funds. So I mm. definitely tell people you need to look into that. And also, if you get a scholarship and you're like, oh man, I invested in this educational IRA and now I can't use it you can pass your educational IRA along to anyone in your family. So if there's mm. a cousin that's in high school and you can pass that along to them, you know, you can pass it to your husband so that or, or wife if they want to go back to school. So don't mm. just think, I don't want to invest in it because my company may, you know, do tuition reimbursement and I don't need it. You can easily transfer it along to someone else. So Hmm. that's good. No, that's good. That's good. Okay. And so the second way to pay for graduate school, which uh, we all know this, but they're scholarships, 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 scholarships. And when I went to uh, graduate school, I obtained two scholarships. One was for like a well, hmm. one was $4,000. It was from my church. And the second one was a local organization. And it was $500, I think. And those helped out a lot. That $500 paid for some books. Yes. And um, <laughs> they paid for some books. And I think the $1,000 went to tuition. But hmm. I want to tell people that there are so many scholarships out there, just like when you were in high school, if you apply for a lot of scholarships when you were in high school, there are scholarships out there for graduate students. Yes, they are a little harder to find. They're not as easily to find as uh, when you're in high school and they just throwing the money at you, but they mm-hmm. are out there. And so you just got to look. And I know we're busy professionals and you're like, I don't got time to look. But if you go to pre-college solutions backslash grad resources, there is a link on our website under grad resources where you can click and there's a listing of grad scholarships. So um, you just got to go in and pick out which ones pertain to you or not. We just want to make sure we're blessing anyone. Also, when you're looking for scholarships, There are so many local organizations that don't market as well as they should. I know like local um, fraternity and sororities, if you're in a fraternity and sororities, they give out scholarships to graduate students as well. You just got to find those deadlines. A lot of scholarship deadlines 
vary from November to December to about a good March or April. So those are like key hot spots for graduate scholarship mm-hmm. applications. So do some research. Got to do your research, y'all. A third way to pay for a graduate school is, of course, tuition reimbursement from your company. My company at the time had tuition reimbursement, but I chose not to take it. Hmm. I suggest to everyone whose company has tuition reimbursement that you look into the fine print because the company where I worked at, you had to stay there for two years. Like you have to sign some paperwork saying you were going to stay working there at your current position for two years after you graduated from graduate school in order to kind of honor the tuition reimbursement. And then like if you decided to leave early, they had certain percentages that you had to pay back to them. And so um, look into the fine print when your company offers tuition reimbursement. And something else Mm -hmm. I didn't like about my company's tuition reimbursement is that they were only paying $2,000 per semester. And hmm. so my tuition was $5,000 a semester. So it's like, wasn't even half. And so hmm. that was one of the things I sat there and I thought about was like, is this, you know, is this feasible? Like, do I want to be tied to them? And I'm still coming up with almost 60% of the money to f- go to school. And hmm. I had decided no. So I didn't take the tuition reimbursement. Right, right, okay. It sounds like it would have been better for somebody, too, who wanted, like, a certificate or something to, like, it would cover the cost. Because you're right, 2000 isn't a lot for me to commit another two years of my life, and I probably don't get a raise. So, I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, not trying to be, like, you know, pessimistic, but to that point, like, I've, I got to be in the same position, too. So, what about moving up? So, like you said, that fine print and those conditions, because they get you, they get you. Man, you are so right. And but there are some companies out there they give amazing tuition reimbursement. Oh my god. If you're in the STEM field, yes. Oh, you should really take them up. <laughs> they yes. they plan on keeping you if they invest in uh your education. Mm-hmm. So, um like I said, look into the fine print. Number 4, internships and fellowships. I actually was able to obtain an internship which was by the grace of God that I found this internship. But I found the internship at the time it was called American Humanics, but now it's called the Nonprofit Leadership Alliance. And they were giving $5,000 for mm-hmm. you to find a nonprofit organization to intern with. Like basically they paid the money. You had to find it and set it up and complete a maximum of, I think, 500 hours it was a lot of hours a certain Mm. number of hours and so that's what I did and I was able to intern with United Way local United Way which was awesome I learned so much from them about how to look presentable how to be professional how to set yourself above status quo I learned all of that from my internship at United Mm. Way because they considered themselves the premier of nonprofits, like they consider <laughs> okay. over nonprofit organizations, in my opinion. So, yes, look for internships and fellowships. I will say this because I had a full time job at the time and I did an internship. Know your limits because that mm. was a rough 
five months. And so know your limits. Know if you're going to be able to juggle an internship, a full-time job, and school at the same time. Mm. So know your limits. I got past that time, but I would not dare do it again. I would not do it again. So I'm suggesting that know your limits. Also, I know there are some people because I've worked with some uh, some of the students uh, that I've worked with in the past. They decide to go back to grad school and they say, I can't do grad school and work a full time job at the same time. I would prefer a part-time job or internship and school. And so know your limits in that area as well, because I respect that. Now she had to change some things around. She had to move back home to and adjust her lifestyle. But I respect that she knew her limits and she was just like, nah, I can't, I can't do all of this and, and make it work and be successful at the same time. So, mm. so know those things. Also, if you go to precollegesolutions.com backslash grad resources, there's also a link where you can see some fellowships that maybe you're interested in. Um, I will tell you that most fellowships or internships, they kind of right now is kind of the time where the deadline is kind of wrapping up because they usually award a lot of them in the spring. So um, I'm not saying all of them are gone by now. I just know a big chunk of them are probably have either already awarded or like this is the time where they're wrapping that up to award in the spring. So Mm. if you're thinking about next year, 2021, you're going to go back to school. Make sure you put on that you want an internship or a fellowship. Make sure you put that on your calendar. The fifth way, you can always go home. I know I stated, I just stated this in the uh, little story I just gave, but that's a big way for you to save money and pay for graduate school is to go home. Now, please make sure this is okay with your parents. Don't make this decision without your parents guarding permission, but going back home saves a lot of money. It gives you the opportunity to focus on graduate school and, I mean, it decreases a lot of your cost. So, if you don't mind giving up independence for a couple of years, maybe three years, then going to live back home is um, always an option for saving money for graduate school. A little story I have, because I, that was what I didn't do that. I had already moved out of state, so I couldn't go back to Louisiana and stay home and <laughs> go to graduate school. But one of the ways that my I did get some family or parent support is that my dad, for my birthday, my dad would throw me a like small family gathering on my birthday. So when I would go down there, he would make everybody give me a financial birthday gift. Like he would tell people, no, hmm. she doesn't need a gift. She doesn't need a physical gift. She needs money. She's in school. She's in. She needs money like she's in school. Mm-hmm. And so about every birthday when I was in graduate school, I would come out with a few hundred dollars, like either 250 to about $400. And I would use that money to pay for books. Like I wouldn't go splurge that money. I would use that money to go pay for books for graduate school. And so that really helped me out because I think when you go back to graduate school, books is the last thing you think about. You're always thinking about, okay, I got to pay the tuition part. I got to pay the fees part. Oh, dang, now I need books. 
So I feel like that was one of those costs that I, I used to put on the back end until I was actually in graduate school. And so he really helped me out with that. So you can always, you know, give up your birthday, tell family you don't need a gift gift. You need a financial gift or maybe you need some Starbucks gift cards because you know you're going to be working those long hours in graduate school. You can always do the same thing for Christmas. Instead of Christmas gifts, y'all can just bless me financially and this will go to the graduate school fund. So those are other little ways that will help you pay for graduate school and help you save for graduate school. Hmm. My sixth and final way, of course, is you can just pay for it yourself. You can sit down, sacrifice some things, and you can just work full-time or part-time while you are in graduate school and just pay for it out of pocket. Hmm. Some people don't know this, but universities offer installment plans. With installment plans, that means that, let's say, it costs $5,000 for you to go to the, your chosen university and you have 2500 but you don't have the other 2500 you can get with your school's cashier's office and they can break those payments down into three payments so that you can pay that off before that next semester. So the $2,500, they usually charge a really charge a really small fee, like $15, $20 to it. And then those payments get broken up to where it's like, okay, you have $650 that you pay, well, $750 that you pay in some, by the end of September, another at the end of October, another at the end of November, and then you've paid off that semester instead of getting a loan to cover it at the beginning. And so look into that. If that's something that you want to try to do to pay for graduate school without loans. I did that for a couple of semesters in graduate school, and it was a sacrifice. I remember writing over $500 checks like, oh, I got to do the same thing again next month. (laughs) (laughs) But I was like, you know what? You only got a year left. You can do this. You sacrifice it, but it's only a year left. And that's the thing about graduate school. It feels, when you're in it, it feels like forever. But when you're out of it, you're like, man, that was... That, that was nuts. Like, that, it's over, and I can't believe it's over. And so um, those are some ways to pay for graduate school. I know it was a little lengthy, but um, I hope that you guys found these ways beneficial. I'm just trying to figure out if I should go back to grad school. <laughs> <laughs> you dropped some nuggets, and really... If you had any questions at the beginning of this about if she know what she doing, now you know she know what she doing. Because, <laughs> um, you know, some, and I'm not trying to be funny, but, you know, there are people like, okay, show me expert. Like, you just, hey, there it is. So if y'all had any questions, undergrad and grad, she got you. And there is a link that she noted a few moments ago. We're definitely going to drop those in the show notes. But I'm serious, like, gosh, so many things I wish I knew. There were a few things I did take advantage of. So for some time when I was in grad school, I had to work full time to be able to support myself. But working for the institution, I similarly had tuition reimbursement. So they would cover up to a certain amount of hours. So if I wasn't in an assistantship, I was doing that. And that's how I covered school. But just thinking of, again, that education IRA 
that going back home, like you said, bite that bullet because it's first gen. Sometimes that pride can get in the way. We want to make it, but sometimes going home is the best thing to do. So for you mm-hmm. to have said that explicitly to be able to even work full time and save money, I say go home even if you're not going to school and you can afford to be in the house and get on your feet and do what you have to do. So that was good. <laughs> like that was <laughs> I'm like, we just gonna go ahead and come up with a little guide for y'all and everything. But no, that was I'm being funny, but I I may have to do that for real because that was really, really good. So for those of you first gens, you clearly have somebody just like yourself. That's why we have these conversations who has walked the path that you have walked or trying to walk and is helping you show, helping show you the way. So there's a reason for us to say that we didn't have anybody who couldn't help us that we didn't know. Right. Cause you, you really let that thing out. Like I'm over here, like, uh, can you come teach in my class? You know, because I teach grass. Like, because I mean, the financial piece. I just don't want that to continue to be a barrier for us. You know, and so I love it, um, and I'm really grateful for it. So listen to those of you who have tuned in, who are like, yes, yes, sis, or whatever you're doing right now. Um, we're definitely going to drop Shamika's information in the show notes. Please go follow, go connect, go email, go to the website, check it all out and be great. Because again, an example, a living example of things that you can do to continue to be successful and how you navigated that decision to get your MBA and then how you were like, nah, I ain't going <laughs> like I'm going to do my own. <laughs> when you said that, I was I was like, I want to go back and be like, preach, sis, preach, because <laughs> Similar to me, when I even think about the idea of going back to work in a traditional nine to five, I cringe at it. Like I feel knots in my stomach only because just like yourself, I realize now my abilities, the reach, you know, what I've been able to learn and to apply it and then to and oftentimes end up in a better situation than I fall in a different place. So I'm all for pushing entrepreneurship, which y'all know that even with some of the products that I'm working on, working and helping other people build their own businesses is just really important that we understand the power that we have that we don't think we have when we haven't tapped into other parts of ourselves that's what i'm saying so yeah but i'm not gonna hold you much longer but i've got to ask you that last question that my favorite question to ask and that is if you had a thought a piece of advice a word of wisdom a quote song lyric whatever that you want to share with us or something for us to carry for the rest of our lives what would that thing be Oh my gosh. That thing would be to don't give up. Don't give up. It's going to be so many times in your life where you face challenges that you think you can't handle, where it's hard, rather it's financial, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, all just anything. Don't give up. I've learned that if as long as you don't give up, something amazing is going to happen. And it's, it's not going to be on our own timetable. And I think that's what we get. We, we set ourselves up for things because we're like, man, it's been a year and it ain't happened yet. Man, it's been two years. It hasn't happened yet. But we just got to keep pushing through. I'm really big on perseverance and just, you know, endurance. And so I, I would say never give up because you don't know who's at the finish line that needs you you know let me I, I'm not doing sound effects so I'm just going to give you this <laughs> you know we're just going to just do it live Um, all of that all of that and thank you you know 
as a, as a strong, educated Black woman. Thank you for showing up and doing it, you know, even in the face of fear. Thank you for just really seeing value in changing a life through education because we know it is a social equalizer, social mobilizer even. And I'm just grateful to know you. So, Soar, I wish you nothing but the best in all that lies ahead. And know that we here at the First Gen Lounge, we got your back. We're here to support you. And again, for those of you who tuned in, go check her out because she didn't gave you all the gems. Like, this was a consultation you just got for free. So, <laughs> so you better. So, you, thank you. You welcome. You welcome. All right. Look, until the next time, we will definitely, you know, chat, but take care of yourself and wishing you well.